ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Extra Canon Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Worthington, and I'm here again in, in quite a good mood. I actually think the last Extra Canon Podcast, we were a bit down, maybe a bit fearful. Uh, things had, were, had, had taken a turn for the worse, but thankfully, uh, things are looking very good again in the Arsenal picture. We, we, we finally had that game in hand that has been on our on our mind for for quite a while. Um, it's always nice when you when you collect the points from the game in hand because I, I remember there were moments last season as well in the race for top four when we're like, oh yeah, we've got a game in hand though, and then we lost the games in hand, and we won our game in hand this time around, and, and we're we're here to talk about uh, talk about that today. Uh, and I am joined by uh, the usual suspect on this show, um, the man who is my official co-host here on the uh, on the Extra Cannon podcast. If if you look at your phone right now, you'll see a little cartoon image of him next to me. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here he is, Mac Johnson. How you doing, Mac? I'm doing all right. You know, having a a wonderful time. Um... Still recovering from a little illness, so I'm sorry if I'm a slightly hoarse today. But uh, nothing, Rob, can 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 dampen my spirits after after yesterday. We we have not had a win like that in in a good while. Um, really, just needed to kind of go out and demolish somebody. And who better than the team that kind of started this whole crazy losing run? Uh, Sean Dyche's Everton. The first half was a very different story to the second, and we're going to get on to that. But just in general, as always, happy to be here, happy to be talking about another win. Um, yeah, the optimism is is very high here here in Gambier, Ohio. Beautiful, sunny, warm, finally, Gambier, Ohio. Um, yeah, just great to be on, great to be alive, great to be a fan of the Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, in, as you can in, see you know, from my window. On March 2nd, sorry, this 2023. Is an, uh, exclusively yeah. audio show, so you listeners won't be able to, but Matt can see the sun is shining here as well. Um, so so clearly the gods are smiling down on us today. Um, you know, all that pathetic fallacy. Um, we, we love to see it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a very happy time. Um, so, so let's just focus on the happy for a little while. I, I always feel like when we have one of those half and half performances, it we're like half an hour into a show, and it, and it feels like it's been a horrible performance because we've we've spent most of it talking about what was going wrong, uh, sort of in the first half. But yeah, just in general, it, it was a very happy day at the Emirates, and I, I know like it's always helpful when you score two before half time, and it, it it changes the whole complexion of the game, but. I don't know. I feel like there's been a little bit of a mood shift and and we're we're further back towards those sort of vibes that we had at the start of the season again. Um it, it got very serious for a while, especially when you go on a losing run. But it feels like we're back where we were sort of at our best earlier in the season. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's, you know, the Emirates is bouncing, obviously. Big, big occasion. Um, we've made history. We are the first team in, you know, the history of English football Just top to bottom Everton. to beat another pummeling opponent a hundred <laughs> times, which I think is pretty neat. And, you know, to mark that, yes. <laughs> um, but again, 
that's not to take away from the fact that we are, you know, five losses, one win, no draws against them in our last six. They did the double over us, I believe, last season or two seasons ago. They have been, along with Southampton and I think Palace for some reason, um, a little bit of a bogey team for us in recent years. And, you know, the match was, I would say, assertive. Um, The first half looked a lot like our game at Goodison. It was a little too open. We gave them a few too many chances for my liking, but they were staunch. They sat deep and it was a moment of magic that kind of set everything alight. Um, And really, you know, from there, the second half was wonderful. The goals were great. But I think, Rob, I'm going to kind of pin this on one man, and that is Leandro Trossard. Was he at his best yesterday? Not necessarily because he didn't score two. But at the same time, just allowing, kind of having that linchpin, having that center forward who can interplay with Martinelli the way Jesus can, who can link the team together, who's more confident in between the lines, who understands the flexibility that made us so awful to play in the first half of this season. I think just seeing that on the pitch for the Arsenal again has been a real joy, and it's been a boost, obviously, not only to us as fans, but to the team and to the club. Um, yeah, I think it was... It was wonderful. Yeah, as Peter Drury I mean, said on commentary, the second half, it uh, bordered on said something like a Rob, wonderful arrogance about this Arsenal tr- team. It, and yeah. Yeah, as always, poetic yeah. from him. <laughs> Honestly, having him on American commentary is amazing. Like, genuinely, he commentates probably a third of the Arsenal games these days. I've never been this lucky. Like... The the gold standard for American commentary was Arlo White back in the day, and he's wonderful. But having the combo of Peter Drury and um, whether it's Jim Beglin or Andy Townsend or any of them, they're all wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's almost just, like it's, uh, he's a poet. Almost he's, like the producers see the uh, like comps on TikTok of uh, Peter Drury like commentating on Arsenal games, and they're like, "Yeah, I think the fans quite like him." Um, but yeah, I. Uh, I obviously travelled overseas overnight and managed to to watch that that game on the American uh, American coverage. I definitely didn't watch it illegally online because um, the Sky Sports are, are very stupid and don't show games which they easily could show. Um, but anyway, um, that, that, that's that, that is my probably only complaint about last night. Like the coverage is ridiculous, and it's it's the same with. Um, Liverpool match wasn't televised either. Like two Premier League matches, it's the most valuable product in the world, uh, or most valuable sporting product in the world. And like I think it's for over, it's forty seven percent of the games are shown in England. But like it's crazy. Um, but yeah, en- enough on that. Let's let's get back to talking about Arsenal. And you sort of touched on my next question, um, which by speaking about Trossard, which I guess is the main talking point when, when a lineup comes out at the moment, just because he has been sort of slotted in for, for Eddie. Um, but yeah, unchanged. Arteta in interviews lately has been saying, like, it's not going to be like that every week. Like, we should, we, we do need to start expecting some changes. Um, but he is also the sort of manager that once he finds a winning formula, he sticks with it. So... I guess my question is like, what, what do you expect in the next few weeks? Do you expect the changes to primarily occur in the Europa League, or, or do you think 
changes are going to have to happen in the league as well. Well, I think it's an interesting conversation, right? Because there are, at this point, you look at, I'll just say, you look at the bench from last night and for for the, for just for reference, I'm gonna like quickly pull it up on my phone to list it. Um, last night, our bench was composed of Thomas Partey, who came on, Emil Smith Rowe, Fabio Vieira, Matt Turner, Eddie Nketiah, Kieran Tierney, Jakub Kivior, Rob Holding, Takihiro Tomiyasu. Consider that bench and that Jesus is gonna be back. Pretty much next week, he's already been in full training with the squad per per pictures. Um, not quite match fit, but but building his way back up in the next week, hopefully, you know. But if it's not next week, it'll be the week after that. So the question is, Rob, how do we get away with having in an entire second very talented starting 11 on our bench? The answer is we don't. Um, it's not just that it's the Europa League, which I expect to see wholesale change for. Reese Nelson hopefully coming back into the squad. It's that we've got two additional key players back and fighting fit, as well as players like Jakub Kivior, who's been playing with the U23s to build up to match fitness. Players like Kieran Fun Tierney, cameo who, last night, you know, has not had in, his in moment the in the sun for Arsenal in a while. Um, I can, yeah, amazing at such yeah, a lovely midfield. ping out yeah. wide. Too, I, and, uh, and looked good for yeah. for the record, you know. But yes. Yeah, it was Martinelli. But um, just in general, right, there's been rumors about him leaving, not necessarily being the the most content. Newcastle are in for him, I think. Rotation is going to be necessary because we have two teams worth of players and one team to fit them in. But I also think as some of our stars come back, it'll be a question of when Jesus is fully fit, who starts at left wing. Um, Xhaka proved a lot of haters wrong last night. A lot of people were calling for Fabio Vieira to start. And Xhaka was, with the exception of a couple of sloppy moments early, was sharp. He was on it. He played a little bit deeper, which kept him out of the attacking areas that everybody's been bemoaning his abilities in recently. Um, And kind of, I think, Zinchenko took that role over a little bit, which was very much vindicated, especially by our first goal. But, you know... There's a lot of players in our squad. Tomiyasu, the debate is always there with Ben White, and he didn't even come on last night, which we, that is a sub that we've seen routinely. So I think rotation is not only necessary and going to happen, I think that Arteta is faced with one of the best problems to have as a manager. He has more talent than he can fit in an 11. And I think refinding the space for that talent to grow and thrive and continue developing and staying sharp you know, back to his mentor, Pep, who has this theory about maintaining equal minutes in the legs of all his players. I don't think we're quite there, and I don't necessarily believe in that strategy because sometimes he'll pick teams that don't see the fixture to maintain minutes and kind of balance out squads. But I think that, you know, depending on how we want to line up against an opponent, we have a lot of different options in terms of the flexibility and style which, with which we go at it. So... I think there will be rotation in more than yeah, just yeah. Opening, I would expect that too. Expect and to see an almost entirely. I suppose it, next it's quite a delicate situation because all the success so far in Arteta's career has not come from being a tinker man. That that's sort of like the next step he makes in his development as a manager. Manager being able to to chop and change. But I, I personally don't like how much 
Guardiola chops and changes, but I I understand why he does it. I I like I I really like the fact that Arteta knows exactly what his best eleven totally is, agree. and I don't think Guardiola does. Um, so I I wouldn't want Arteta to go to that extreme, but yeah, it, it, obviously adaptability is something that he does need to work on in himself. Like for example, just like we've stumbled upon Trossard being a an adequate option up top. And the interchangeability between him and Martinelli is, is just so wonderful to see on the eye. But he was sort of forced into that change because Eddie had a little knock. Um, so it, it's not necessarily something he wanted to do. It's he, yeah, I, I just think thinking on his feet, troubleshooting is, is something that he, he, he probably will need to develop in the next few years. But I'd, pro- I'd probably prefer if he didn't start doing it now because that... He doesn't have a track record of being successful on that front. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma um, and, and one which I think will pan out really interestingly. But, you know, if we're going to win this title, we need the full squad. So we need minutes. And and luckily, we do have the Europa League for that. And that's sort of what this show is, is for. It's covering European action. So we will be speaking about those games in the next few weeks. We travel uh, or do we host? I don't know. Uh, I think we travel to Portugal next week to play sporting. Um, do you know, Mac? Okay. Well, I'll keep speaking then. I'm, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Again, I'll, I'll check. I the suppose we, we should you, speak about that um, that first half. I'll, I'll pan that question over to you once uh, once you found out what the uh, whether we're home or away first. Oh, away. Okay, nice. That that's cool. Portugal next week um, for the Arsenal and Mac and away. I will likely be here to discuss next Thursday. Um, but yeah, so so that first half. I don't know. You're right. They'll, I suppose there were comparisons to the, the first half of, of the match against Everton uh, a few weeks ago. You know, I think they were getting the, getting on top of our midfield again. Uh, you know, Erdegaard had another quite weak first half. I think that's becoming a, a, a slightly worrying theme. I was actually thinking, like, it before we scored the two late goals, like I'm always sort of have it in the back of my mind when we go in nil nil or even losing, like <clears throat> take Shaka off, bring Vieira off. But I was thinking Vieira for Erdegaard because um, I thought, as you said, Shaka was having a good game. Uh, but yeah, two quick fire goals obviously changed that. Um, was it just one of those games where we needed that first goal to be the? sort of springboard for the rest of the performance a moment of magic um or 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 do you think eventually we we, we would have broken Everton down anyway I think we would have scored eventually but it to me honestly was kind of I I don't think if we remain scoreless in the first half I don't think we go on to beat them 4-0 um I think kind of that goal acted as a springboard, especially because, you know, again, you're coming up a, against a midfield of Dukure, Amadou Onana, the diver, and Ejisagana Gay, who are all defensively astute, tactically very, very clever, um, very good at sitting in low blocks, but also very athletic, dangerous on the break, a lot of long legs, a lot of powerful strides, a lot of very kind of difficult to stop physicality combined with a lot of real technical quality. It's a midfield that you would not want to play against. And I think they gave us a lot of trouble. The 
Everton wingers, uh, both Iwobi and McNeil, were almost playing as wingbacks, really isolating and double-teaming our wide forwards, making sure that we were locked down in those channels. And I think Zinchenko stepping inside helped with the midfield as the half went on. But at the same time, you know, they kind of sat in a block and didn't let us get through. And at the end of the day, it's a Martinelli overload to the right side with Saka stepping inside between the lines. That kind yeah, of yeah, that just for reference. Um, um, and what a like, finish, I, I saw a like frozen Saka. image of just but, before the goal. We've yeah. got... Yeah, we've got Martinelli on the right wing. We've got yeah. Saka in the sort of like right I was just looking space, at the same right on Twitter. Position. Yeah. Shaka like uh, in the left space of that. Erdegaard sort of in like the false nine position, and then Trossard all the way on the left wing. Yep. It, do you think that is an area that has improved the last few weeks? Just that as little far bit out more as he of can unpredictability, be. Yeah. which I think maybe we we were calling for. Yes, and I think that move kind of started with Martinelli making those driving diagonal runs into the center forward space. We see him make them a lot. People have started finding him in recent weeks. Yes, he was badly offside for the first one he made yesterday, but it's still a threat. It's still there. Um, And kind of it's interesting to have him make those outside to inside runs and having Trussard step wide. It's the first time, though, that we've seen Martinelli drift over to the right to allow the same for Saka to come inwards. Um, But I think Xhaka, frankly, I think his role in that weird, like almost striker space is not to go get goals. What I saw him doing a lot yesterday was acting as that shuttle piece, standing in space saying, you know, you make this run into space. Like there was a lot of times when it would be Zinchenko or Trossard or Martinelli out wide. Xhaka would kind of have it in the left half space and be the player responsible for finding the one or two connection passes to link it out wide. I think his role there is, you know, if we need to, hey, if the ball comes into Odegaard's or Saka's feet and the other player isn't open, play it to Xhaka, he'll get it to Zinchenko to Trossard out wide and we can switch the field quickly. Um, But I, I do think having that kind of flexible front three with Odegaard drifting and Zinchenko and Jorginho supporting is lethal. And as the half went on, Everton struggled to deal with it because of its unpredictability. Um, you know, there was, I think there have been calls that with Nketiah in the squad, Saka is sticking too heavily to the right wing. His link up with Odegaard was a bit predictable at times. The same with Martinelli kind of constantly being isolated. The lack yeah, of rigidity and, tactically. And, you know, it's not to say that it's a perfect system really either. Helps. And th- th- there were justifiable calls for sort of like, for Eddie to start last night. Like he, he does at least offer the focal point that the that, that Trossard doesn't, I suppose. But I suppose... I suppose the good of Trossard is, is, is outweighing the bad at the moment. Whereas with Eddie, I think at times and this might sound a bit harsh, but the bad was outweighing the good just, just a tad. Um, and it's something that we spoke about on the last show. I think like Eddie probably excels when the system is like properly perfected and there's not the need for like players like Trossard and Jesus to drop into the half spaces and link up. But it's also really nice having a striker who can do that. It, it, it's it's very Arsenal, isn't it? Having a, tie, a striker of such high technical quality. And Eddie just isn't that guy. And 
you know, it'll be interesting to see what that means for his future at the club. Um, but that's a conversation definitely to, to have a bit further down the line. But for now, we're just going to talk about last night. You know, we, we've spoken about that structure for, for the second goal, but I think it would be a disservice to um, Bukayo if we didn't speak about the finish in itself. I mean... He scored quite a similar goal at Leeds, but this this was utterly breathtaking. Um, first of all, the the way he takes it on the turn is it, it's it's outstanding. Like the way it, it's it's sort of really authoritative. If if you get what I mean, just like give me the fucking ball, I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna smack it into the top corner. Like that that is that is what I got from from that from that moment of brilliance from Bukayo Saka. And to be able to finish like that on your weak foot, I mean, outstanding. And he's he's one one goal contribution away, and he's one assist away from a double figures on each season. Uh, something that Daniel foresaw. He, he really saw Osaka getting like that sort of fifteen fifteen type season, and he's on track to hit those sorts of numbers. Just tell me, talk to me about the goal, and then. And then just Saka in general, like I, I tweeted last night, I, I really do think he should be up there for the Player of the Year award. And I think right now he, he should be the favourite. And I think if you were to ask fans two months ago, it probably would have been Martin Odegaard who was picking up that role. But Saka has has stepped into a really amazing patch of form. Um, and again, with him, it's difficult to tell if it's a patch of form or it's just the new normal. Um, one thing that I've seen a lot from him, and I'm going to make a weird comparison, but bear with me. He has this shoulder drop that is very Tony Kroos-esque. Um, and, you know, you don't really think of Tony Kroos as a mobile, tricky winger. That's because he's not. He's slow as dirt. But he has this amazing ability to use his body to draw a defender in and turn past them that's made up for a lot of his lack of his mobility throughout his greater years. It's a skill that I've like enjoyed watching since I was a young kid. Um, but he has gained, like there are little notes of his technical game, Sokka's game, not Kroos's, that continue to improve. Um, a year ago, one of the big things was that he was receiving the ball on his right when kind of facing up a defender and taking those, you know, the touches passed or cutting inside the way he was receiving the ball was increasing his ability to kind of move and shake and you know get past people on the turn that skill is a perfect example of something that i've seen him do a lot recently which is working on positioning defenders at his back and spinning past them not just in wide areas but really centrally um and he does it typically a little bit deeper. That's a lot of his progressive runs and carries where he'll be linking up with Odegaard or Jorginho or Zinchenko or whomever. But to do that in a way that he has a lot in the past couple of games where he'll do that turn on the edge of the D and just obliterate a defender on the way. Um, amazing move, ridiculous finish. Yes, he scored a similar goal against Leeds and I think he's had one more before in his career. It's becoming a little bit of a trademark, that kind of off-footed finish. And it's unstoppable. Like, it's a skill that we would see a lot from players like Alexandre Lacazette, who, mind you, yeah, that is Cardiff, his dominant side. Exactly but in that amazing, that, yeah. I think it was the 18-19 season, but might have been 19-20. Um, yes, 
there's there's the Cardiff goal. He had one also. Oh, he had yeah, one that he yeah, snuck in right. against he's Chelsea. I think he had one in that Valencia match where Alba scored his first hat trick. Like he, yeah, that kind of near post leaning back a little roofed finish is one that Saka has done more and more consistently. It's kind of his his favorite when he's not able to get the ball into his left foot. In fact, when we see him miss those right-footed chances, a lot of them are either just kind of P-rollers right to the center or he'll miss high and right because he's going for it. And I think, I mean, amazing goal, ridiculous finish. And I looked at the stats last night. By current trends, Saka is on track to beat Aiden Hazard's best ever goals and assists tally in the Prem, which um, that's kind of nuts. He's 21. Um, and that is kind of, you know, that's the player that we have on our hands. That is the reason that I will take whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's our talisman. To a long-term deal. He's <laughs> like, it's it's he just such is. a nice thing that our, our player, like properly our player, one of our own is, is our talisman. You know, I know Spurs haven't won much, but it's been nice for Spurs fans at least to have have Harry Kane as someone who's come through with them, albeit after being with Arsenal. Um, you know, it, it's it's nice for them to have had one of their own be their sort of shining light, and and we've got that now. Um, and it, it's great that he's such a down to earth lad as well. And I don't know which pundit it was speaking last night, but it was someone of a vague um, sort of. Uh, you know, he's a vague, vague rep- reputability. God, I'm having trouble getting my words out. Um, and he he just sort of said how, um, you know, if, if Saka wasn't playing for Arsenal, if he was even playing for United or Barcelona, Real Madrid, he'd, he'd be in like Ballon d'Or conversations and things like that because the season he is having is that good. And we can't forget how well he performed at the World Cup as well, you know. Tearing Teo Hernandez, arguably the best left back in the world apart. It, it it it's it's not something that should go under the radar. So yeah, just an absolute pleasure to be watching him at the moment. And yeah, like that that finish. I think it's one of the things that's, that sets him apart. I mean, look at Manchester United's ninety million pound um left footed right winger. Yeah. I mean, if Anthony tried to do that on his weak foot, I mean Fidget I mean, it's, it's going behind. He's slicing it. There, there's no doubt in my mind, and he probably just doesn't try it at all. To have the confidence to take the ball on the half turn and then smash it with your weaker foot. Oh, the, the strike is so clean as well. I, I just it, it, it's the it's the goal that I can't get out of my mind from last night. It, it was just that good, and I remember when Laka scored similar similar goals as well. It, it was the same. I just couldn't get them out of their mind because those. The finishes are so eye-catching. Um, anyway, on to the next goal. Saka involved heavily again. And Mac, they drew the lines. Amazing what happens when, when like VAR officials like do their job. It's wild. Um, I, I was convinced that he was off. I'm not sure whether yeah, it was because of the narrative. I thought it was just the um, way that Saka and Martinelli looked at each other like, afterwards. That's a they goal just that we like, just mm. don't get given. Yeah. It, does it count? We don't know. It It kind of reminds me... It, it was the Aubameyang goal when we beat Manchester United a few years ago where he's like miles onside, but everyone, himself included, thinks he's off. 
And VAR just goes, wait, no, their left back is holding him legitimately 10 yards onside. It's absolutely a goal. Um, and I remember I, I like jumped around my apartment. I was screaming. The little offside thing comes up. I was like, now the ball went in to my like roommate who doesn't know football at all. I was like, listen, ball went in. They'll review it. Do I think it's a goal? No. But if it is, that would be awesome. And I was, you know, typing in the chat. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, it's close. Oh, it's borderline. I'm like, yeah, no chance. As soon as I send that text, goal given. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Like, wonderful. Um, but again, that was, in my mind at least, a big key to our dismantling of Everton last night. Because their biggest strength was the ability to hold us off, to continue to repel us. It's it's Again, it's one of those narratives, right? The longer that you sit in one of those low blocks and defend and triumph that way, the more confidence you have, the more likely you are to make do on one of those big counterattacks. It's a lot of Sean Dyche's footballing mentality, actually. A lot of the reasons he was so successful with his Burnley team were because they were playing for each other. And it's funny, as soon as that mental advantage is taken away with the first goal, they have an absurd lapse in concentration, not to kind of normal standards, but you know, it's Odegaard slips on the ball. And I don't know if Adressa Gay is expecting a foul or because there's no whistle. There's no contact. He kind of just stands and looks over at Pickford like, am I kicking the ball right now? And we nicked it off him like. Wonderful. Um, I will also mention that the other reason that I did not think it was onside is because I had like a 30 second total space out about the fact that it just matters if Martinelli was behind the ball. I was like, oh, he's past the back line when Saka gives it to him. It's off. No question. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> no, that's wrong. Um, so, yeah, I don't know the rules. But in general, I think it was it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to showcase an underrated part of our play this year, which has been our forward press. It hasn't necessarily worked to that extent, but consider that Martinelli was picking up a position pressing forwards in the right half space, right? With Trossard out left, he pressed as a number nine for a lot of last game off of the left wing with Trossard. Yeah, I thought the press defend. was very good last and night. I think and it, it, wasn't it just, worked really um, effectively. Just for that goal, which which granted was a freak moment. Uh, I was listening to um, Sean Dyche speaking after the game and whatever you think about Dyche, he's someone who's, who's really interesting to sort of listen to as, as a manager. Um, and... You know, he he almost like couldn't speak about the second goal. It was just so undaishy. The, the the like you you so rarely see um, a daish team like concede a goal because of like an individual error like that. Um, you know, he could explain away the first goal. He sort of explained how the distancing was just just slightly off. Saka got an extra yard of space, um, but yeah, that 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 goal was was freak and. I love the fact that the press came off. The press was excellent throughout the night. There were moments when Michael Keane, Seamus Coleman, Mikalenko were just, you know, forced into hoofing the ball out, just unceremoniously out of play, um, which, you know, is the point of the press, I guess, because that's how we, we recollect the ball and are able to sustain pressure. And the, grabbing two goals just before the break, it just set it up so beautifully for the second half. And I, I texted my sister. I was like, 
I'm delighted because we just get to watch Arsenal ball out for 45 minutes now. And there, there wasn't there wasn't a doubt in my mind. Like I knew that's how the second half was going to pan out. Um, in that position of control, the way we, we, we are able to pass the ball about. And that's exactly how it panned out. I think Everton had a decent chance about 10 minutes into into the second half. Malpai was, I suppose, causing problems, but wasn't very convincing when he got into forward areas. Uh, uh, Dwight McNeil had a decent shot, saved well by Ramsdale. Um, but apart from that, it was smooth sailing. And I suppose... The, the the conversation to be had about sort of the contrast between first and second. And I know, of course, like um, the context of the scoreline is, is huge, but Thomas Partey came on and uh, I think he reminded everyone that he's Arsenal's best number six. It's a bit annoying, isn't it? Like, Sometimes I don't want to be reminded that my that the player I least want to root for makes us significantly better. Like, if there is one player who typified the arrogance of yesterday's play, it was Thomas Partey. Had a couple of excellent defensive interventions, um, but he, whether it was his passing or just sometimes you forget how kind of cool-headed he is on the ball. Like... There were a couple of moments yesterday where he would get into a little space, turn and pick his head up, and I would see Everton players, like, backing away. Like, I don't know what it is about kind of his, just his his aura over playing in possession that, like, does not, that kind you of incites the people Arsenal to players are like not want to deal with Prepared it. to take more risks no, as I mean, well when he's on the ball, because they yeah. just know he's going to mop up. Yes. Absolutely. And I mean, like, consider the substitutes, right? Yesterday, we didn't necessarily make substitutes that were wonderful for, like, defensive stability. I think there's been a lot of questions about what happens if we play Fabio Vieira alongside Jorginho um, without Xhaka. Does that kind of leave us exposed defensively and in transition? I think the answer to that is yes. But just in general, right, like, we brought off Jorginho for Partey and then brought off Xhaka for Vieira and kind of seeing Fabio Vieira, yes, it was a little bit of pity minutes, but seeing him really able to operate with such freedom, I don't think he'd do that if it were Jorginho he was playing. Well, we next discussed to, it. Right? Um, we he discussed it a few just days ago, didn't all we? Over, like, touching the ball when we play Jorginho, like, there is an onus on time. the rest of the team yeah. to literally defend together whereas yeah. I don't think that's there if you've got Thomas Partey in midfield yeah that said though um, Jorginho was immense defensively yesterday had a couple of really good interceptions did not get beat for pace often good recovery um, I think he I think he's bought into the kind of swarm mentality of this team um, and Deich, much like Kiernan Dewsbury Hall, commented on like the inability to kind of play through things, as did Alex Awobi, I think, in a post-match interview. I think it was Awobi, but or maybe it was Deich talking about Awobi, but just that every time there would be an opportunity down one of the flanks, yeah, it would I think, be I think that was seven or eight red Awobi. shirts back um, within two yeah. or three seconds, you know, and yeah, I thought so. 
Yeah. And in some ways, yeah. I don't know. I find Jorginho's presence in the squad might just help that. Fills into this, like, I, I, really I don't necessarily mind the fact that, that we're the, working so hard. People are really together. scared of us. And I, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> clearly from... Yeah, clearly from pundits to fans. I mean, Gary Neville is shitting bricks right now. Like that man is very frightened of us, apparently. Um, but you know, he he has been the scapegoat for Arsenal ire in the past week. But just in general, I mean, th- there's almost a thought that I and I think one of the frightening things is our unpredictability. I think that's a lot of that. But also, you know, you come up against Manchester City. And you know what you're getting. You come up against the Liverpool, and you know what you're getting. The fact that we are the either the youngest or I think now the second youngest because of Southampton team in the Premier League, we are, you know, not say constantly trying new things, but we are a team that thrives in the fact that you don't really know what we're gonna do. Even like you and I, Rob, who you know analyze us weekly, not for a living yet, but hopefully soon. Like we we don't necessarily know how the team is going to play because our patterns of play are so unpredictable. And I think the one thing that has been predictable about this season is that this team fight for each other. And even, you know, the quote from Arteta about the relationship between Gabrielle and Saliba, right? Who had their little dust up post-match after, um, Blumen, who did we play in the weekend? I'm after whomever, after, after our last win pre Everton, um I'll, I'll i'll look it up but i'm a bum after lester right they were yelling at each other and kind of shoving each other around and arteta was like no they're fine they just expect a lot of each other zinchenko and gabrielle were having a very similar conversation i've lost rob ah he's back uh zinchenko and gabrielle were having a very similar conversation after this match kind of looking at the edge of the box and discussing how to work in tandem and it's very clear that this is a team that kind of no matter what they do tactically will be fighting for one another and I think sometimes that can be a mental block for an opponent. Just... Right. Sorry. Little, little few technical difficulties, but we are back. Um, as I was mentioning, just kind of to wrap up my point, I think that, you know, you mentioned teams fearing us, Rob, and little like quick summary of what I was saying. I don't know if it got captured on audio or not, but teams fear us, I think, because of our unpredictability. They don't necessarily know what we're going to do, but also um, they fear us because of our team unity, because we are a team that works for each other and works together. And I think mentally it can be difficult to play when that kind of unity and the togetherness, I don't know, it can feel insurmountable um, to play against, I think. And it's something that we've seen as a big switch from last year when we looked technically better, tactically better, but mentally weaker. You know, we would come up against sides who essentially had the vibes, had the energy, had kind of the graft and the togetherness and, Ha, you know, we got dominated that way, and I think that we have we flipped that script. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. Season, and not always, but you know, in a lot something of the that's, that's been spoken about quite a bit this week. Sort of the emotion that's in this Arsenal team, and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, you've already touched on Gary Neville. He doesn't think it's a good thing, but you know, Arsenal fans have made the point that I don't think we we'd be where we are now without the emotion. It's it's such an important part of it all. You know that the novelty of being top of the Premier League again and 
and this young side who are so fueled by their togetherness. It's so important to Arsenal and it's all about how you regulate that. But when it is sort of conjoined with some brilliant football um, and a brilliant atmosphere in the stadium, it's it's a really difficult thing to play against. Um, and it's something that has made the Emirates such a fortress. And it was so good to be back to winning ways at home last night after a bit of a barren spell and, and that clean sheet as well. You could tell that meant a lot to Aaron Ramsdale. But um, yeah, just I suppose before we we draw this to a close, let's speak about those final two goals. Um, Martin Erdegaard obviously picks up the third, uh, scoring on his right foot, which is is a bit of a rarity for him. But uh, all comes from Zinchenko again, doesn't it? It's a great ball down the line um, to Trossard. And uh, Trossard finish it well doesn't finish but his his cutback is absolutely brilliant and then good finish from eddie just another really nice arsenal team goal yeah absolutely agreed i think i was really glad to see odegaard get on the score sheet um i think you know as with all players confidence is important but We've seen Odegaard look a little quieter in recent games, and to see him at least get a tally back, we've seen the wonders it's done for Martinelli in the past couple of weeks. You know, he was looking a little bit off the boil and I think was feeling a little bit isolated, scored that that fourth goal against Aston Villa, and it's been Trump since then, right? Um, even though it was an open net, just having the ball hit a net and having that plus one in the goals column he scored our only goal against Leicester. He should have had another. He scored two this match. It's amazing what that can do for your form. And I think if Odegaard can uptick in the same period, we are going to be unstoppable in the next coming weeks before kind of the March international break, um, which is pretty good timing. I can't lie. But yeah, I think it's it's important that we kind of, you know, we had a lot of players out of form. And this is something Alfie loves to talk about that, some of the time teams lose or kind of hit rough spots just because all of their players are out of form at the same time. Um, and I think we might be encountering the exact opposite where a lot of our players are stepping into better form at the same time. And let me tell you, I don't necessarily mind. I also think and Ketia, same with him confidence. Good to see him get an assist. Um, lovely little ball into Martinelli, but he was bright. He had a really good run that I believe Zinchenko picked out. Um, that he kind of had that little dinked finish that went against Pickford's chest. Really good save from Jordan Pickford. Um, still creating chances. But again, just getting that kind of little tangible reward is often the thing that can restart a spark. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely glad about that. And I think four goals were justified. I think we probably could have had seven, and it's been a while since I've said something. Yeah, like I, I think you're um, right. I which again, I, I just that we think didn't go on and collect more than we did. Um, but yeah, I think there's a conversation to be had there about the form and the players. It was something that I said when we were sort of stuck in our rut, just like Martinelli, Shaka, Nketiah, and Odegaard were all dropping out of form at the same time, and it was just Bukayo Saka carrying the load on the right wing. And now, slowly but surely, each and every one of our attackers is is getting back to their best. Even Granit Xhaka, who, as you noted, is playing in a bit more of a withdrawn role at the moment. But 
you know, he had a much better display last time. I was, I was very pleased with what what he contributed to the team. Um, I suppose just just one more sort of an analysis conversation before we we wrap it up. Um, you know, there's been a bit of chat online about what Erdegaard can provide in that left channel. You know, he's got a really good relationship, it seems, with Martinelli. We had that disallowed goal against um, against Leicester where, you know, the weight of pass was just gorgeous from, from Erdegaard. Is that something that you, when, because I think it's a matter of when rather than if, when Vieira gets introduced to the sort of starting eleven. Do you see Erdegaard moving over or do you think Arteta sort of tries to keep as much the same as possible? I think it depends on a few things. Um, I think, A, it, it depends on individual chemistry. We've seen Saka and Erdegaard link up beautifully and constantly throughout this season. Um, and I'm not sure if putting Odegaard at left central midfield, kind of at that left eight in that left half space, you know, works with that. At the same time, his connection with Martinelli is wonderful. Um, but it also depends on players like Fabio Vieira, right? Does Vieira have the same connection with Saka that it very clearly appears he has with Martinelli? Those two, unlike Martinelli and Nketiah, seem to work very well in the same spaces together. And the other kind of question mark there is around Emil Smith Rowe and does his resurgence from injury not necessarily provide a barrier for Fabio Vieira but is he a more natural successor to play in that right half space if Odegaard were to move over to the left because of the connection we know he has with Saka I'm thinking of that one amazing goal I'm forgetting against whom uh, I think it was our first or second in that, um, I want to say it was the West Brom game where Tierney scored that wonderful right-footed finish, but it was like the ball into Saka, hit it on the turn to Lacazette, slid it through the Smith Row back to Saka, like that amazing little set of interplay. We've seen time and time again that Saka and Smith Row work very well together, and I think it it just depends on you know does if Vieira works in that right half space, it's where we've seen him best. It's where he scored that amazing goal from against Brentford from, right? Uh, he loves that kind of reversed finish as opposed to the curler. Um, no, I mean, I think he could do really well there. I just, like, again, it depends on the game. It depends on the personnel. It depends on how well it suits our tactical setup. But I do think he really has a future in, frankly, either of the eight positions. Um, I just think, you know, even you can see from Arteta's interview last night that he was asked a question, I think, about Saka, and he started talking about Fabio. Like, he wants to get him in this team. Um, so, frankly, wherever that happens, and yeah, I can't wait Arteta to feels it's best for him, I'm totally comfortable sporting. with that. Um, but, you know, going back yeah. to his home homeland, where he was in, of course, such great form last year, uh, you know, the numbers he was putting up were ridiculous. So, yeah, that, that that's very exciting. And it just really is exciting thinking about, where this Arsenal team goes next. Obviously, we're in a very good place, but it's sort of comforting that we all know that there's a little bit of area for improvement as well. And it's sort of a sort of a nod at all those people who, are, who seem to think, oh, this is Arsenal's only chance. Like, Arsenal fans know we're going to get better. There's still places, there's still levels for this team to reach. And let's not forget the age profiles as well. It, yeah, 
it's nice and um i suppose you before before we finish this one off let's let's speak about that fourth goal i mean we're, we're talking about relationships i i just found it so ironic that it was an incatier assist for martinelli <laughs> Yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? Um, and great finish too. Little little dink between the legs. I mean, that again, it just it smacks of confidence. But I should also mention that was a ball that didn't come off two or three times in that half. That little kind of cutback from Inketia, and to finally find it, I think was was you know it was vindication for for me especially just kind of watching it all happen. But yeah, man. Um, I don't know. I think there's something to be said for the fact that it's an individual relationship that hasn't really worked in in build up play. But in terms of this squad, if there are two players who I would probably trust in those positions, right, as the one kind of you know getting on the end of a of a low driven cross and and providing a moment of quality in the six yard box, Inketia and Martinelli would be very high on that list in this squad. Um, and again. Just because they might not have the greatest like relationship on field, also doesn't mean that they can't provide and assist for each other. Like it's just, just again, they're not known for their chemistry. But I think it yesterday was one of those days where even the things that looked bad looked good. Like the things that don't normally go well for us went well. Yeah, I, um, I think that's and on, and that honest. I think is the um, ultimate vindication of our result yesterday. You know, I. I don't know really what what the future holds for for Enketia in this in this team now that we've seen what Trossard can do and Martinelli also looking really interesting in those those central areas. Um, but he's still a guy that you can rely on, and you know it, it it's so short sighted just to suggest that he's the sort of player that is only effective in the penalty area. You know, again yesterday I had a brilliant moment on the left left hand side. He just took a man out of the game. I think it was a Wobi who just kept on being rinsed by Arsenal players. I felt so bad for him. And uh yeah, what about that little touch from Martin Erdegaard? The the sort of the sexiest slide tackle you're ever gonna see. <laughs> um, you know, if Martin Erdegaard's gonna <laughs> if Martin Erdegaard is gonna tackle someone, uh I and mean, my gonna God. make it look that cool, he's gonna do it like that. Um so yeah. Just just typified a sort of uber cool Arsenal display, um, and yeah, I think as as the listeners can tell, we're we're pretty pleased with how things with how things panned out last night. Um, I think that's pretty much what we've got time for today here on the Extra Cannon Podcast. Do not worry, do not worry. We're still going to spotlight, uh, but before we wrap this one, uh, wrap this one up. But um. It's been a real pleasure to speak about that Arsenal win. Any uh, any closing thoughts on, on the victory, Mac? Um, happy days, really. I think it's you know it's a great benchmark to set, right? Obviously, this weekend we're up against a Bournemouth team that haven't necessarily been the most uh, defensively resilient this season. Um, I am sugarcoating; they're not good. It is it is a match at home, and I'm very excited for it. But to consider the run of fixtures after that, away at Fulham, not an easy challenge right now. Home to Crystal Palace, a bit of a bogey team for us. Leeds, we should win that one. 
But, you know, take, that's the last two weeks of March before this two-week international break. And then on April Fool's Day, it's Leeds. And then we have a run of Liverpool, West Ham, Southampton, and we're back at City, Chelsea, Newcastle for three in a row. So really just ending this kind of section of the season right before this two-week international break on fire is is the best way to be. Um, really just securing that once we get back from that break, it'll be, you know, kind of getting back again, building up momentum again. There is theoretically an end point to this current little mini run. But the most, you know, last game was big for our goal difference. Any joy that we can get out of these next few fixtures, I am 100% getting. Yeah, I've got to say that. that Bournemouth at home is come to crunch time in April. licking my lips for for quite a while. you know, Everton, as you sort of said at the top of the show, is like one of those bogey teams. Um, and you never know what's going to come of that result. But Bournemouth at home, considering how City dismantled them last week, a City who, again, probably weren't at their tip-top best. Um, you wonder if City are going to hit their tip-top best at any point again this season. It's getting to that stage. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's exciting. It is a really exciting game, and uh, looking forward to speaking about it in a few days on uh, on an Arsenal Cannon podcast. But um, for now, let let spotlight, and uh, I'll, I'll hand hand the mic back over to you then, Mac. I have annoyingly uh, two. One of them related to us. One of those is a tweet that I saw about an hour ago that I think is one of the funniest things ever. Uh, They were doing vision testing on players to kind of in VR, essentially they were testing vision of like footballers and, and had to recalibrate the entire system because they stuck the thing on Martin Odegaard and it was too slow for him. He asked them to turn it up to 120% just so they could like keep up with his level of vision and passing range. Yeah, um, oh kind of neat. So I think it's funny. fun. Oh, the I other one is the Spurs out of the we FA playing. Cup to Chef United. The 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 Spursiest performance. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, I neither did I. And then I hopped on Twitter and I was like, "Oh, Arsenal! Wait a minute, Spurs! Spurs also lost. What a day! I mean, Spurs get a Spurs. It's all I have to say. Um, that I have never seen a team less destined to win a trophy in my life." Um, and I've seen Norwich City yeah, play. Yeah, you have, so, haven't you? So, in, so live and in person. That a special I day, that one. So, um, yeah, that's about all. Nice. My one is going to be, and it, it's a little bit, uh, I suppose, a tad ironic just because we've been slaying his opinions on this podcast, but it's the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug another podcast, which maybe I shouldn't, but I am going to anyway, and that is the Overlap podcast. It's a new one that Sky Sports are doing, and they had a, a cool little panel on the other day of um, Arsenal fans and City fans. We had uh, Robbie from AFTV, uh, Pippa, and um, James McNicholas representing Arsenal on it, um, and I just think they were they were so excellent in the way they expressed their opinions. Uh, they were good representatives of, of Arsenal fans. So, and you know, everyone on this podcast knows how much we like James McNicholas on this show and everything that he does on in the podcasting world. So, yeah, do go have a listen of that. Um, I think Arsenal, the Arsenal fans, defend our uh, our sort of position very well. Um, so, yeah, 
that that is all for today um it's been an absolute pleasure as i keep on saying just because it is such a pleasure to speak about arsenal and yeah i just can't stop thinking about that sack ago it was so so good um but yeah thanks for joining me today mac uh i have been your host rob worthington find me on twitter at afc blogger 49 um and also follow my good friend mac uh, he is at Mac Johnson, followed by a series of numbers, which you should all have memorized at this point. So I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, this has been the Extra Cannon podcast. I have been Rob Worthington. Lovely to speak to you all. Have a lovely rest of your day. Or if you're listening to this before bed, sleep incredibly well. Um, thank you for joining us and goodbye.